When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's time for the Mountaineer Insider Podcast. Get insight into your favorite West Virginia University teams and hear exclusive interviews. The Mountaineer Insider Podcast is presented by Segra. Segra, powering organizations of all sizes with state-of-the-art voice, data, and internet services. Now, let's go live inside our MSN studios. Here's your host of the Mountaineer Insider, Dan Zangrilli. And welcome into another edition of the Mountaineer Insider Podcast. A lot to cover. We will get into the backyard brawl coming up with historian John Antonic plus Andrew Filipponi from 93.7 The Fan of Pittsburgh. We'll stop by to uh, preview the, the backyard brawl, which takes place uh, coming up on Friday. And then it's a big one Saturday in the Little Apple, Manhattan, Kansas, as West Virginia does battle against a, a really, really good K-State team. Uh, already bowl eligible, put a scare into the Texas Longhorns last weekend. And uh, we're happy to be joined right now on the phone by their longtime color analyst on the radio network. I had no idea that it had been uh, over 30 years, Stan Weber. Thanks for joining us. How are you? But you've been associated with uh, Kansas Kansas State football, gosh, uh, for what, two-thirds of your life here? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a great joy. I started playing football there in 1980, and who would have known? I, got, I was lucky enough to have some diversity because when I got there, Daryl Ray Dickey, who's now the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M, dad was the head coach, and he was the quarterback, and a young one. And so when I got there, they said, you can play quarterback. But you know what? Probably have a guy that might be the starter for a little while, so why don't you go play defense? So I started out playing free safety. Uh, started some my freshman year, true freshman year, uh, redshirted, and then end up converting over to quarterback after that. So I actually got to play defense in college and offense. And after I got done playing, they let me start announcing. I had no idea I was going to get a chance to do this. And Wow, meeting people in this industry, guys like you, is really a lot of fun, great people. And they let me do this for 33 years. Just a guy who loves football, happens to be allowed to go on the radio. So I don't know how that works, but I'm happy to do it. Heck, for over 15 years, I've been doing every basketball game for K-State. So it's a lot of fun to do both, but obviously football is where uh, my mainstream uh, knowledge started. 
Well, how fun is it uh, being around Cl uh, Chris Kleiman? Because uh, a colleague of ours, uh, uh, Jeff Colhane, used to work here at West Virginia. He went to NDSU, North Dakota State University, and he had an opportunity to be around uh, Coach uh, Kleiman and uh, won some national championships w with him at the helm. Uh, clearly has picked up uh, where he left off. Well, yes, he did inherit uh, a veteran team in many respects. Still, uh, the energy that was in Fargo has transferred over quite well, seemingly, to, the, to, to Manhattan. No, no doubt about it. Uh, his offensive coordinator, Courtney Messingham, was a, a childhood friend of his who ends up being with him at times in Northern Iowa as a player and then on in North Dakota State for a time and then now here at K-State. So uh, there's a lot of continuity through what Chris Kleiman did at North Dakota State, what he believes in. He brought that to K-State. It's awesome to see him be himself, totally comfortable in his own skin, doing everything he does in the program because he wants it done. Now, for me... Sitting here and looking at this whole situation, I couldn't be happier to report that it's unbelievable that what he wants to do and what his tendencies are and where he has success at North Dakota State is with things that are very consistent with what Bill Snyder taught. Uh, it's amazing that so many of the things Bill Snyder said, let's just get a little bit better every day. I don't even want to talk about tomorrow. Let's just get a little bit better every day. Well, right away, one of the first comments that he made to the team, Chris Kleiman did, is that new head coaches, let's win the dang day, and let's focus on the process. And still, you know, when they lose the game to Oklahoma State or they beat Mississippi State or beat Oklahoma, he says, don't even worry about the results, just worry about the process. So there's a lot of continuity. Uh, I see it. I, I've been, you know, you talked about my opportunity to be involved in K-State football. It's been long enough that I have a lot of uh, thoughts on this just as a K-State observer, fan, broadcaster, but my son is on the football staff, he was with Bill Snyder as a player, then on staff with Bill Snyder, and now he's working for Chris Kleiman. And my youngest son is in his third year and is a player for K-State. So I hear it from all different angles uh, about you know what's going on, what was Bill Snyder like, what was Chris Kleiman like, and uh, just it's great to report that everyone is thumbs up in what they see of Chris Kleiman and what a great human being he is. Uh, I'm lined up with hanging out with Bruce Weber in basketball, and Chris Kleiman in football and their staffs, and they are just great human beings who also happen to be very good coaches and do it in a way that's consistent with the way that you can win with at K-State. So we may not be the most athletic team that you look out there. When you watch the tape, you see Texas players and K-State players, and you're like, whoa, this, this is like the varsity playing the junior varsity or something. But K-State was right there in a dead-even game. So K-State's better than the sum of its parts, and that's classic Bill Snyderism and classic Chris Kleiman as well. Yeah, they sure do seem similar uh, stand from your description there. But what do you break down this offense? And, you know, you rushed for 1,789 yards uh, this year so far. And the, the offensive line, I, I believe they're all seniors, are they not? Yeah, veterans. You know, they play six guys today, but basically you're looking at a senior group that is almost all back intact. I mean, the best one, Dalton Reisner, starting for the Denver Broncos. But still, yeah, a veteran crew. Uh, an offensive line uh, coached very well uh, by Charlie Dickey under Bill Snyder and coached very well right now also. And it's a feature part of the team. You know, they really got to do a good job on the offensive line for K-State's offense to be as effective as they want because Chris Kleiman wants to be able to run the football, and he thinks that's a very core part. And if he can run the football, it sets up everything else. So, yeah, you're looking at the right part of this K-State football team, a veteran group who has a lot of pressure on them to be successful. 
Stan Weber is with us on the Mountaineer Insider. He is a part of the Kansas State Radio Network alongside play-by-play man Wyatt Thompson. Uh, Stan, the Oklahoma win was the biggest win for the K-State program since when? Well, uh, one thing you have to do is when Skyler was a freshman, Skyler Thompson quarterback, K-State went on the road and beat a number 10-ranked Oklahoma State team. Uh, and, and a, you know, a bunch of pros you're watching play specifically for the Pittsburgh Steelers were out there. So that was a big win there. And, uh, you know, past that, you've got to you go baby back to some Texas wins in the uh, late 2000s. So it was a very significant win. Let's put it this way. It was the fourth highest team ranked ever to be beaten in Manhattan and the fifth highest ranked team K-State's ever beaten in the history of the program. So it was a giant deal, uh, no doubt about it. And when you do it with a new coach, Chris Kleiman, and you do it after there were some questions uh, about what K-State was this year and had lost a couple of games, if you remember, uh, after beating Mississippi State on the road was a big deal. They lost to Oklahoma State and lost to Baylor. And then everyone was wondering how good is this team going to be? And then Chris Kleiman beats Oklahoma in his first year. So just a, a giant confirmation of what Chris Kleiman football is like for everybody around the program, other than the players. I think the players already believed and knew they were in good shape. But for the, the nation and specifically the fans of K-State, to take a whole new view of, of a giant win like that. Those things don't come across very often where you beat a top five team. Take us into how they won that game, why they won that game, because I would imagine you could apply all of the principles to as to why you've won six of your first nine, Stan. Well, it's a great microcosm. You're right. Uh, one thing is, is the players really focused in on just trying to do the best they can on every individual play. It's easy to say that, great coach speak, but it's hard to see guys that do that. K-State was down and shocked by Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts. I mean, C.D. Lamb, Jalen Hurts, you know the whole story about OU. They were ahead of K-State 10-0 before you could even snap with your fingers. And then they led 17-7. to So, I mean, the game's completely in control by Oklahoma. We're into the second quarter, and no one around the country is talking about an upset. But K-State didn't blink an eye. They just kept playing and kept running the ball and believing in their offense and kind of tortoise in the hair type of mentality. And then this is a basketball term we use, not football. K-State went on a 41-6 to run against Oklahoma. Okay, so the intestinal fortitude to fight when things weren't going their way and not blink and be intimidated by Oklahoma is probably the number one thing you need to know about. The State's not going to change their mentality. If they get behind, things go their way or not, they're just going to play. And then secondly, they are able to run the ball, and then Skyler Thompson has been a very accurate passer. Uh, they get good play calling from the offensive side, and then K-State tackled well that day. K-State's tackling was not great up to that point in the season. It's been better since. But they've been good tackling, been great on third downs, getting people off the field. On fourth downs, only one team has converted a fourth down all year against K-State, and that was last week against Texas. So uh, running the football um, was a big part of it. Scouter Thompson's good passing, which is complimentary football. No mistakes, you know, no turnovers, hardly any penalties. That's what made K-State good against Oklahoma. But they were the better team. They were better than Oklahoma that day. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. Go watch the tape, and K-State was the better team. Yeah, go ahead and stand and break down Skylar Thompson because with 29 uh, rushing yards against WVU, he could be the fourth signal caller in school history there to pass for over 3,000 yards and rush. He's definitely a dual threat. Yeah, he's really grown up. He was thrown out there as a freshman and had moments, like I talked about that Oklahoma State game in Stillwater when they were a big underdog. But 
Uh, Skyler's done a nice job, but he's really improved to a whole different level his junior year. That's happened a lot in the Bill Snyder eras. Uh, he There's two tenures there. It seems like when guys have been starters and get to their junior year, they just blossom. Well, it happened under Chris Kleiman as well. Uh, Alex Delton was a quarterback that he had to uh, share time with uh, the last two years, and it could have happened this year as well, possibly. Remember, he transferred to TCU. So he left, and so is Skyler's team. And he's taken well to it, and, the, and he has much of an NFL quarterback type of mentality. He's studying tape even more. He's responsible for a lot of audibleizing, including run game audibleizing. It takes a lot of discipline. You've got to know you're the man to walk up to the line and to audibleize to your run. Quarterbacks love audibleizing in the past, right? Hey, coach said I can do it. We're going to throw the ball. But, I mean, you've got to be comfortable in your own skin that you're the man when you come up and turn a passing play into a running play just to gain seven yards and know you did a good job. So Skyler's done those things. He's been incredibly accurate both on the run and in the pocket. He's been delivering the ball well. His accuracy is up from where it was last year. He has plenty of arm strength, and he has the capability of running the football when needed. He really hasn't run the quarterback that much. I mean, you can think back of the Colin Klein days, and in every sense in Bill Snyder's second tenure, there was a lot of quarterback run. This is only a little bit here and there, but when Skyler gets a chance to run, he can be effective. And he did run, for the first time ever, over 100 yards in a game against KU. K-State rushed, though. 61 times in that game for 342 yards. They only passed, I think, 16 times. So that's when that offense was working perfect, and K-State looked just like North Dakota State has in the last five years or so. But, you know, you're not going to be able to pound the ball and run against everybody like K-State did against Kansas a couple weeks ago. Stan Weber is with us. Uh, Stan, you mentioned s- some of the tendencies that Coach Kleiman uh, has and has brought in and maybe what's different from, from when Coach Snyder was there. Uh, how much is different uh, for the, the casual observer that's going to, to turn on the game, especially from a West Virginia fan's perspective? Uh, are they going to notice much different outside of uh, the, the, the guy on the sideline being different? Because largely uh, all of the, the Coach Snyder principles are, are still intact. The, the Coach Kleiman's uh, not, not rubber stamping, but he's adhering to, and uh, understandably so. Yeah, no, it would be very hard for you if you weren't, uh, weren't available to understand what's been going on during the offseason and you didn't know that Bill Snyder retired and they didn't show a sideline shot, you just watched the game unfold, you'd have a real hard time telling what's different. Uh, you know, From a football perspective, for those that are really into the X's and O's, K-State's plays are different than they were last year, defensively and offensively. But still, the emphasis on physicality, lack of penalties, don't turn over the football, run the football first, uh, and be great on special teams. I mean, all those kind of things, are the same, and a lot of the players look the same. And K-State may change their recruiting and have a different style of athlete two or three years from now when Coach Feynman recruited all of his guys. But really, if you turn on the TV, you're going to recognize a lot of the names going, yeah, I remember them from last year. And, and that makes you think, oh, they're the same as they were under Bill Snyder. So, no, to the, to the first view point, a team like uh, the Mountaineers just turning in to watch a game here in the latter part of the season, K-State's going to remind you of the Bill Snyder Wildcats in a lot of ways. You know, Stan, looking at the notes here, I don't know if this is a misprint or not, but it says here that uh, K-State has only given up 25 total third-down conversions this season. I mean, that's that, that's like the fewest in the NCAA. I mean, FBS, that, that's an amazing number. Oh, it is. It's been uh, the things they've done very, very well. They've been very good on third down. Uh, you know, it was 
around 25% conversion rate, either first or second in the country. They're right right there with Wisconsin. And you know what Wisconsin's defense has been like this year. So K-State's been that way on third down. And I told you the other stat, they've only given up one fourth down conversion. It's something like one out of nine or one out of ten, whatever it is right now, that they've given up on fourth down. So K-State's defense on third and fourth down has been very good. Their pass defense has been a strength for K-State, and their third down pass defense has really been strong. And so that, that is an area where they've been able to win the little battles. And it was a heck of a battle against Texas because Texas was converting going into last week's game at 54% on third downs, fifth best in the country. So you talk about a feature matchup. When Texas got to third down, you're talking about two of the best in the country going at it. And, and it was a lot of fun. That's why the game ended up being close because it's just so hard to separate K-State and Texas in those ways. But, uh, yeah, they've been very good at it. Uh, and, and as you know, a little, they use a different style. Like I said, their defense looks probably more different if you study the X and the X's and O's than last year's defense. That's probably the biggest differential is that K State's skinning the cat differently on defense. One thing is is they're using a lot of players. Uh, Coach Kleinman believes in having involvement that I've never seen before. Second team guys and third team guys get rotated in with the starters all the time, starting in two a days. Oh. Oh, gosh darn it. I'm so old. We don't have two-a-days anymore. Fall practice. Fall practice. You know, when you're like me, you're thinking, when you say two-a-days, it rolls out of your mouth. You feel like you've really adjusted because it used to be three-a-days. So I think, like, hey, I'll say two-a-days. Totally wrong. They don't even do two-a-days. They can't even practice three days in a row. Oh, gosh. Uh, back to the point. Uh, in fall practice, he has his 13 guys run in there and play with the starters. I thought, this is unbelievable. How do they get confidence in these guys? But that's what they've done. And you watch in the game, K-State will rotate through. Instead of having 11 defenders who will play against West Virginia, it's more like 18 guys will be out there at any point in time, critical situations or not. They totally believe in staying fresh, uh, building the confidence of the players up, exposing them to the opportunity, and saying that we are a team. It helps when you have injuries. It helps when you get worn down a little bit. Well, I tell you what, I haven't seen many coaches in the country. It's probably the most unique thing of climbing compared to any coaches I study around the country. Most guys are like, let's put our best guys out there. If we're going to go down, we're going to go down with our best. And K-State really, like I said, they're going to play 18 defensive players, and they're going to roll in there. There's no rhyme or reason for what you're looking at. You just look down, and there'll be different guys. The spotter's got to be ready, okay? On the radio network, the spotter's got to be ready because there's going to be a lot of guys tackling people for K-State. Well, that's, it's just a belief. That, that's good to know because I think that's my, my job, essentially, for Caridi. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Stan. Well, one... sorry, yeah, be counting on you, man. Yeah, no, yeah. no doubt, no doubt. Okay, uh, final thing for us here, and we appreciate uh, the time from Stan Weber here, uh, Kansas State uh, Radio Network Analyst. Uh, can you tell us about uh, Blake Seiler and what West Virginia has on this staff? He, he was uh, making the defensive calls last year. Uh, and from what I've heard is that was a real loss to the Kansas State staff uh, and the football program and, of course, West Virginia's gain. Uh, you know, he, he, he's a guy that uh, essentially has known nothing else almost in his career besides the Wildcats, but he's here on the West Virginia staff and by all accounts is doing a terrific job for Neil Brown. What does West Virginia have in Blake Seiler? We have a gem in Blake Seiler. Uh, he is a uh, pretty good friend of mine. I did his games, obviously, as a broadcaster. Kind of watched him grow up. Um, so his wife, Inga, she was a football operations person. You know, I knew her from the football side before they ended up getting married. Now they have children. 
he is he's first of all just a first class guy. He, he he's going to work hard, do the right thing, without a doubt. Uh, he he grew up near where I grew up. Uh, he goes to the same church that I do. I mean, there's so many consistencies that I know about Blake. He's a winner. Um, he's a fighter. He's humble. Uh, he's smart. And he, he, it's interesting because my son, I told you that my son uh, is a coach you know, on the coaching staff at K-State or on, in the football program, I should say. Blake Seiler went into the business world. He went and he's an engineer. I mean, he's out there working and then decides, you know what, I think I want to get back in coaching. So he's not some dumb doc. This is a guy who could have made it in the business world who chose to go back. And my son followed the same thing. He was a CPA in Kansas City when Bill Snyder called and said, hey, would you ever consider coaching? And called him back to be a coach. And Blake Snyder is the one thing that my son could look at and say, hey, Blake, what do you think? You're in the business world. What's it like to go back in the football world? So uh, you, you got a real gem in Blake. He is awesome from every aspect. If you're a friend of his around town, you get to know his family, his ethics, uh, how hard he works, recruits, coaches. He's awesome. But, you know, it doesn't stop there, guys. You, you, you all are going to ask this, but Vic Coning, I lived with Vic Coning one summer. I played football with oh, Vic Coning. What is that like? Oh, man, I can only imagine those conversations, Stan. Uh, yeah, no, Vic and I are not the same, but we get along really well. <laughs> yeah, know? no, he's, 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 he's like, a – we love Vic here. Peanut butter and jelly. I'm like a, a nerd, you know, president of a company, CFO type of guy. And he's just, you know, football, and, and he, he and I hit it off so well. I love cool. something, what he brings because he and I kind of need each other. You know, quarterbacks need no tough doubt. guys, yeah, and, and tough guys need, uh, you know, sometimes some discipline, and that's what we. But anyway, Vic's done a great job, uh, and so as a player, and then as a coach, a veteran coach, and and I haven't, I've met Neil, uh, but I've only heard great things about Neil from Vic because yeah. I've oh, kind of tracked terrific. with Neil for years. Vic, Vic and I stay in contact, and he's like, "Man, you gotta, you gotta see this young coach I have at Troy that I work with. This guy's unbelievable. That's pretty, you know, and how awesome he is." So, sounds like you guys got a, a lot of great guys. And oh, by the way, it's such a small world, isn't it? I mean, how do it, I it know? Really about your is. Coach? It is really, it is really cool. That I mean, great insight, Stan. We really appreciate the stories and the anecdotes, and that's uh, that, that's great to hear. Hey, we're looking forward to to making our way out to the Little Apple. We always love coming there. Uh, so uh, we will catch up with you when we uh, get uh, to to uh, Bill Snyder Family Stadium on uh, Saturday morning for the three uh, thirty local kick. Uh, thanks so much, Stan. We'll catch up with you soon. Okay, guys. Have a safe trip. Look forward to seeing you. All right, there he is, Stan Weber of the K-State Radio Network, works alongside uh, Wyatt Thompson, uh, one of the best in the business. Stay with us. We'll uh, pivot to basketball when we return. John Antonick will stop by, plus Andrew Filipponi getting you ready for Friday night as West Virginia and Pitt do battle here on the Mountaineer Sports Network. Lumos Networks is now Segra. Segra is proud to support the West Virginia Mountaineers, and we're proud to be investing in the future of Mountaineer Nation. Segra is one of the largest independent fiber bandwidth companies in the U.S. Our new dense fiber network provides the solutions, speed, diversity, scalability, and reliability West Virginia, the Mid-Atlantic, and the Southeast have been asking and waiting for. All across our footprint, Segra is providing customers with local attention and the fastest, most reliable fiber network in the region. Call 833-GO-SEGRA or visit www.segra.com to learn more. We are Segra. Let's go Mountaineers! Well, the Backyard Brawl coming your way Friday evening. Thanks for being with us here in the Mountaineer Insider and... Uh... 
John Antonic, West Virginia historian, as Dale Wolfley refers to him as Jazzy John. The Jazzy John. <laughs> What's up, buddy? You, uh, you jazz for Friday? You're, uh, you're going to be there, right? I'm, yeah, I am. I'm jazz for Friday with the snow coming down. I'm fired up. Yeah. So uh, what is your biggest takeaway when West Virginia and Pitt meet? I mean, leading up to the games, because obviously this has been a big part of your life. You have uh, written a lot about it, and – in a vacuum, especially to the folks listening to the podcast that don't really have an appreciation for it, how, how can you best surmise it in an elevator speech, if you would? Well, I mean, it, the game has changed so much because they don't play every year. That's when, what I'm saying. Right, so. right. And I think it's I think for the students and the people that are involved, it's almost like reteaching right. w- what this game is. And for me, um, you know, I, I don't know the players like I did when we when we played every year. And so I got on the phone and I talked to Gail Catlett earlier this week to kind of rekindle uh, some of that. And, you know, some of the stories he was telling me just made me remember how important this game was. Dale Wolfley played in that game as a football player. It was the big game. And it was a big was game a for West Virginia because Pittsburgh was kind of the gateway to national attention. You know, it was difficult to get media to come to West Virginia back in the 70s and the 80s. This was so inaccessible. So West Virginia always viewed that pit game as a big game because national media. Now, this was a, a way to, 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 to get uh, attention for your program. So they always played the Panthers hard. Johnny, let me ask you something. As the historian of WVU athletics, you know, how important is this game now? to the players and to the coaches and to the fan base? Well, it's an important game. It's an important game. You ask Bob Huggins, it's an important game because he played in it. Now, some of the other guys that uh, maybe didn't grow up, um, you know, when, when you were a player, you knew a lot of the guys on the team. You knew some of them. You might socialize with them in certain settings. Um, they recruited against each other. Right. I don't know how much that goes on today. You know, Gil Catlett was telling me that every year when he was the coach, he coached this game 33 times more than any other coach, and every year there was a player or two in Pittsburgh that they were after. So this was more than just beating the Panthers. You know, you may you, you may be going up against a, a, a Tim Gergrich or a Roy Chipman to get a Joe Frizz. And it's an interesting story. Joe Frizz told me that when he committed to West Virginia, okay, he was at a school where I think Richards went to, went to Pitt from, from Moon. They were expecting to get Joe Frizz. And when Joe Frizz committed to West Virginia – Tim Gergrich never talked to him ever again. <laughs> you know, he ran into he ran into Tim Gergrich at an All Star game or something, and Gergrich wouldn't even look at him. Yeah. That's kind of where the game was to people back then. Hey, I still don't even like Mark Spindler. I mean, if I saw him today, I'd be like, you know what? You're still a jerk. <laughs> I don't, I'm telling you, I, I went against him for three years, man. There's no way I'd never talk to that dude again. Well, and remember too, they were in the same conference, so the games meant something. And you know, for a lot of the of the backyard brawl, either one team was good or one team wasn't very good. Well, when when Jamie Dixon and Ben Hallen got there, and John Beeline and, and Bob Huggins, the games had national implications. Right. They weren't just important locally. So that added another level to it because you were playing for Big East championships, NCAA tournament bids. So a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the millennial generation was able to, I think, experience it. But Generation Z now and the kids that are in school now, I mean, if they're listening to this podcast, they really have to understand and appreciate uh, what this game was like. What would it take 
to return it to what it was just say 15 years ago john do you have to be in the same conference or uh, or rp is rpi positioning going to be enough i think you have to play and yeah, that's part of it is playing the game again even and if they meet annually yeah, in conference will, will that be enough absolutely and i think too you know um it doesn't matter when you play there will be a, a pack uh, arena on on Friday. Well, Just the same it, as you come to the Coliseum. Probably largely taken over by West Virginia fans as it was two years ago. Well, possibly, but 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 still, there'll be a lot of people in the Pete. And when they come down here in, in the following year, there'll be a lot of people in the Coliseum. Right. So just playing it, I think, is important because when you don't play and you just kind of go about your own way, well, what's what, what value is there to that? You know, it's it's funny, Wolf. Uh, you know, John mentioned essentially how the game back in the day meant more to West Virginia than perhaps it did for Pitt. I, I would hearken that, it, that the shoe's on the other foot now. Oh, absolutely. I think that's definitely the case, you, particularly when you look at what West Virginia has done and you look at, at what Pitt, the struggles that Pitt's had. Now, he's rebuilding that program. Uh, they had a good win early this year against Florida State, kind of stumbled against Nichols, um, and you've got Robert Morris leading into that game. So, yeah. Yeah, Pitt's still a four-letter word. <laughs> well, well, it is. I'm telling you right now, you know what? I, I'd love to play them because I love to beat them. Okay, and that was the, what it was. And uh, I've never liked anyone, anyone, ever from Pitt. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I know you, uh, Bill Hillgrove, I remember a story he told the first time he brought his daughter down to a West Virginia game. The first words she learns were, eat. Yeah. You know, yeah. oh, and they were trying to say, no, 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 it's let's go pit. And, and that was what she said. So was was given a, a dietary suggestion <laughs> at, a, <laughs> yeah. at, a, at a young age. Yes. Did you ever listen to Coach Nealon's pit story about I, the Panther in the well? Right, right, right. Okay, he was a master at that. He was a master at that. That was, that was the reason why you just started to dislike Pitt so passionately. It all came from Don Nealon. Well, remember now, Don grew up in the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, so he was always looking for a little hook. And that story was corny. <laughs> and it, but but the guys believed it, and he's like, "Hey, you've got to beat that panther back down because you're trying to climb up and scratch and claw." And the guys bought into that. And Gail Catlett was the same way. Bob Huggins is the same way. They grew up in this. You know, Gail told me that when he was a freshman, they were playing a freshman game, and Fred Schaus, Fred Schaus walked into the locker room and said, "Hey, listen, this is an important game." And from that moment on, he always you know, understood sure. that this is an important game. Yeah. And it's an important game on Friday for uh, a number of reasons that you could just apply to 2019-2020, no doubt. Yeah, I got one question. I want to know is uh, when he does his Jazzy Johnny stuff yeah, for football, that's a great point. do you put the music on or well, does he put the music a, on? It's a collective effort. It's a collective effort. It depends on his, his content. And what do we have coming up on the uh, Go Mart Mountaineer Tailgate Show? What's, what's your angle there, John? Sam James. Sam I'm going to do a little look back at uh, the historical games. And you think about that game. He caught 14 passes, yeah. 230, what, 23 yards. That could have very easily been well over 300 yards. It could have been. And then how many targets did he have as well? And if you want to really dive into the metrics, I mean, where does that rank as far as number of targets in a game? Probably it's up there. Well, probably with Stedman Bailey's game. And yeah. remember, this guy's a freshman. Those other guys were juniors sure. and seniors. Yeah, interesting <laughs> stuff from John Antonic, West Virginia historian. Stay with us. We'll actually dive into the Panthers and what they're going to be throwing West Virginia's way when we return. Here on the Mountaineer Insider. Lumos Networks is now Segra. Segra is proud to support the West Virginia Mountaineers, and we're proud to be investing in the future of Mountaineer Nation. Segra is one of the largest independent fiber bandwidth companies in the U.S., 
Our new dense fiber network provides the solutions. Speed, diversity, scalability, and reliability West Virginia, the Mid-Atlantic, and the Southeast have been asking and waiting for. All across our footprint, Segra is providing customers with local attention and the fastest, most reliable fiber network in the region. Call 833-GO-SEGRA or visit www.segra.com to learn more. We are Segra. Let's go Mountaineers! All right, as promised from 93.7 The Fan, he's the uh, pregame and uh, postgame host. Well, he's the uh, pregame host of, what, uh, Panther Preview, I guess, uh, up in Pittsburgh, Andrew Filipponi. And if there's a big game, they pull me in for postgame. Do they They'll really? make me do double duty if it's a huge one. Wow, well, that, that's that's good. we so, got to get some of those. Uh, it's are been you a long going, time. Are you going to pull double duty for the backyard brawl? Uh, I'm, I will be taking my West Virginia alumnus wife. To the game. Yeah, well, uh, you married up. Good job on your sure. part. Sure. <laughs> you did. You, you married up. Um, I've got a couple of Press Virginia shirts in the uh, closet. Very good. Well, yeah. boy, so conflict of interest here, maybe? Absolutely. Uh, so how do you handle this? Not well. Mm. So how, how are you going to approach <laughs> this? Uh, how are you going to approach this on air Friday when maybe that, I mean, you have a vested interest at home. Oh, I will your marriage on Julius the Page, who will be my co-host, who played for some of those great pit basketball teams in the early 2000s. Sure. I will needle him to no end mm. about how those West Virginia teams of that era, your Kevin Pitsnoggle, uh, Mike Gansey mm. teams, were actually better than his teams. He doesn't like that very much. I, 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 but I will definitely go back to that well, Dan. That's one of my favorite ones. No kidding. That's, the John Beeline era. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, there have been some good ones. Last two years, West Virginia has obviously been able to, to grab um, – but is Pitt in, in a better spot this year? You, you would say that after their first game, Andrew, but then they, they laid an egg against, what, Nichols State yep. or Nicholas St. Nick's Nick. University? <laughs> Old St. Nick. The Colonials. Yeah. I didn't know that was their nickname until they had lost the game. Um, on paper, I think you know they're set up to have, I think, a renaissance season because they've got experience now at point guard and shooting guard. Xavier Johnson, who was the third leading returning scorer coming into this season among ACC players. Uh, was dynamic freshman last year. Great job by Capel, his first recruiting class, to get him. And I think he's an NBA player. If he's if his head is on right, if he's focused, if the buy-in is there, I think they've got a point guard that's in the same mold as some of the guys they had during their you know Halcyon Big East days where they had rough, tough point guards, and that was like the staple – of pit basketball. So they've got the foundation, Dan. I think it's just a matter of finding depth and enough players to get through what is one of the best conferences in college basketball. So Jeff Capel, tell me about him. Is he the guy? Obviously things didn't work out for, for Kevin Stallings. That's that was putting that, it nicely. Yeah, that, that wasn't a good thing for, <laughs> for, for the Panthers. Uh, but Jeff Capel comes in and it seems like he has it in the right direction. The fans, I think, believe in him. He's got the he's got a great uh, resume coming from the Shashevsky coaching tree, having played point guard at Duke. Um, you know, went to Oklahoma, didn't end well there, but he got Blake Griffin and went to the uh, Elite Eight with that program. Uh, he sounds the part. You know, you put the headphones on like we're doing right now, and you listen to Jeff Capel talk you want to play for him I think he's very persuasive 
I think he's got that part of the gig pretty much mastered. I think he's one of the better young coaches in America in terms of being able to get his message and get the program mission out there. Uh, now it's just a matter of, of doing it. You know, I mean, this it's very easy in the ACC to get buried because of Duke, North Carolina, Louisville at the top, Virginia at the top of the league, and then I think even the middle has been strong. And uh, Pitt is not, you know, this is not a hotbed for recruits. It's not like he can get in his car you know, drive, you know, five miles and there's four-star, five-star guys just waiting for him. So I think it's going to take him going outside the box. I think the Duke uh, history, having recruited a lot of McDonald's All-Americans and NBA players there, is something he's going to have to take with him and apply to the pit job, which might be a little bit tricky. Is he a long-term guy for the Panthers, you think? That's a great question. Um, I can't say yes yet. I mean, I think until... Until you know Jamie Dixon was here for more than a decade, I don't think Pitt was looked at as a destination job. I mean, Ben Howland resurrected them from the dead, and then the first chance he got to go coach UCLA, he left. Um, and I, I don't. Jeff Cable does not strike me as a guy that is going to settle. I don't think he wants to be the coach of a program that wins twenty three games a year, loses in the second round of the tournament. You cash a two million dollar check and you're done. I think he's got higher aspirations than that so it's going to take him figuring out can he achieve those goals of getting to final fours and competing for national championships at Pitt I mean history would tell you it's really hard to do it I mean they've won Big East tournaments they've been the one seed uh, but this program hasn't been to the final four in in decades who bungled the Pitt basketball program Andrew because you know Jamie Dixon is now in the Big 12 West Virginia fans obviously very yep. familiar with him and and what he was able to do at TCU while they were uh, you know picked to finish in the in the basement uh, of the league this particular year uh, everybody I think still is kind of scratching their heads somewhat three four years after the fact that uh, everything went down the way that yep. it did and and then you know Pitt finds themselves where they are. So, so who bungled right. that? So, my answer is different than most fans. I think they would tell you that either Kevin Stallings, who was on his way out at Vanderbilt, he got a golden parachute from Pitt, and the guy that gave him that contract was Scott Barnes, who then left in the middle of the night, took a Mayflower moving van to Oregon State, and is now that school's athletic director. That's the common fan uh, take on it. I think it's deeper than that. I think the Pitt basketball program, the main culprits as I see it, are Steve Peterson, who was the prior AD, and John Swafford, who is the commissioner of the ACC conference. And it's not like I think they had malicious intent. I don't think that was the idea. Pitt has profited greatly from moving from the Big East to the ACC. They found a conference that probably fit them. They didn't want to get stuck in the American or one of these other leagues. And so I think it's you know made them a lot of money with the ACC network and everything else, but I don't think it's helped their basketball program out at all. I mean, they, to me, are a team from a basketball standpoint that belongs in the old Big East. They have not made the transition like West Virginia has out of the old Big East. They, 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 their recruiting footprint has completely changed. They used to love the New York City, New Jersey, uh, Eastern Pennsylvania player and they're having a hard time getting those guys to pit now, Dan. Andrew Filipponi, he uh, is the afternoon host on Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh. He also hosts uh, Pitt Panther pregame, postgame shows as uh, West Virginia gets ready to travel to the Peterson Event Center tomorrow. Do you think it's going to be a good game on Friday? I do. I think it's going to be highly competitive because you've got, I think, two teams that are trying to find 
themselves early in the season. Uh, you know that intensity levels will be high. They'll be told about the history of the rivalry and what it means. Even you know these guys have played in a little bit on the pit side. A couple of guys who are holdovers, but you know I think you've got teams that play. I think with a lot of heart. I mean, the I think the trademark of a Bob Huggins team, at least from where I stand, is that you know he's going to demand that his players play hard. And if they don't, he's either going to bench them or he's going to go to somebody else, regardless of how many stars they had or where they went to high school or what they think their NBA future looks like. I think Jeff Capel is trying to establish the same thing at Pitt. I don't think he's there yet. I think the first few games here of the season for Pitt demonstrate that, that they're going to be highs and lows. But I think for them, having it at home, um, knowing that it's a Big 12 team that you're measuring yourself up against, I think that West Virginia will get Pitt's best game. They won't take West Virginia lightly or sleepwalk into this one. What do you think of the Mountaineers this year, Andrew? Because you're one of the guys, and maybe because it's uh, what you do because you're a smart guy since you're married to uh, <laughs> a Mountaineer. You, you follow the programs yeah. and the athletic department. You get to games. You, you come down as a, as a fan. You're going to attend as a fan, and I won't put you in the precarious situation of asking I've been courtside you. for games. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Uh, near some celebrities as well, <laughs> from, from what I understand. Uh, so, so what do you think of the program? And what do you think uh, of this this season in particular well I think Culver to me is the guy that you're looking to take the step from year one he's he had I think a season where from a sheer production standpoint you think if you can continue linear progression from him you've got a player there um, that can be a bedrock guy and in a conference where there's not a lot of easy games I mean for West Virginia last year I thought you know with with all the Behind-the-scenes stuff, I thought it was a testament to Huggins that at the end of the season they went to Kansas City and they played as well as they did. I thought that that was a mark of a great coach to have them playing their best basketball at that point of the season when the stakes were the highest. So it starts with Huggins. I think Culver, I still want to figure out with the backcourt guys. Um, Harler, you know, these, some of these guys i got to figure out here if they're made for you know, can they go toe to toe with Kansas? Can they look Baylor and those teams in the eyes and go to places like Waco and Lawrence and win those games? You know, I think if I'm being fair about it from a West Virginia standpoint, like if they're in the tournament and they're very competitive in a first round game and they even win that game, I think that's a good place for this team to be right now. I think that would be my expectation for them to be a top 30 type program this year that it solidly is in the NCAA tournament and maybe is one of those teams, Dan, because of their style that nobody wants to play. Interesting. Who do you think wins on Friday? Well, I'll just alienate my wife in saying this. I think Pitt will get up for the game. Um, I think they've got a guy now, Ryan Murphy, who's a transfer in, a junior college player, who's a streaky shooter for them, a long-distance shooter. I think that that helps immensely here because he can stretch the court you know, I'm still trying to figure out is you know is, is West Virginia going to be classic press Virginia that was you know two a year ago two years ago two years ago three years ago who they were who are they now I didn't see that in the Akron game as much um, so I think West Virginia and Pitt play a low scoring game I think it's going to make people remember some of their old matchups before they were even in the Big East in the Big East where maybe the first to fifty wins the game I don't know if it's going to be the most aesthetic cosmetic game. 
But, you know, we don't get the football game, so maybe it'll look like football and does on the, Harwood. Does the brawl mean anything nowadays up here? Because, uh, you know, leading up to it, uh, the hype probably just isn't there as it was 15 years ago. I would um, imagine being in different conferences you know, certainly I think the problem with part. it now, Dan, is the, is the time of the year in which the game was played. I would really like to see it, even though it's a non-conference game now, I'd like to see it in February. And you see some of those games, Duke pl- will play St. John's in like February or January. I'd like to see the game move to later in the year from up here in Pittsburgh because it just gets caught up in everything. You, know, you, had, you had Steelers-Browns last night. You know, you, you, it, it's a busy, in a pro sports town, it's a very congested uh, portion of the sports calendar. Once football dies down and people concentrate and shift towards college basketball, I'd like to see it in kind of one of those main event type dates. All right, so you're picking Pitt. Uh, if I'm needed as a character witness... Uh, let your wife know that I'm available. <laughs> let Tony Caridi know that regardless, I think he's going to call a great game. <laughs> he always does. And he's going to get on a private plane and fly to the Little Apple in Manhattan and do football in like eight hours. What a machine. With Huggins, is he going to go back to... No, I think he'll, he'll be with the uh, director, as I understand it. Okay. But uh, he'll figure it out. Tell Huggins I liked his Halloween costume, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. Andrew Filipponi from Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh. That'll do it for uh, this edition of the Mountaineer Insider Podcast. Enjoy a big weekend, everybody. I'm Dan Zang, really. And this segment of the podcast is always brought to you by our friends at Segra. You're listening to the Mountaineer Sports Network from Learfield, IMG College. You've been listening to the Mountaineer Insider here on the Mountaineer Sports Network from Learfield, IMG College. The Mountaineer Insider has been presented exclusively by Segra, powering organizations of all sizes with state-of-the-art voice, data, and Internet services. And be sure to find the latest news and information on the Mountaineers at wvusports.com. The following has been a presentation of Learfield IMG College. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.